Our Old Testament um, scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his own wealth. For whom am I tolling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This is too meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And for our gospel reading um, is from Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you might be wondering... Where's the verses 38 to 42 in the Luke passage? I put that in there in parentheses in some of our worship publications because 
after Jesus tells the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it just goes into a simple uh, setting and an encounter between Jesus and two of his friends, Mary and Martha. And as we've been uh, talking about Jesus and friendship, um, just every opportunity we have to notice in the Gospels when Jesus befriends others. You know, we, sometimes we, we don't get that sense of like how unique it was for the Gospel writers to speak of Jesus' relationship, his friendship with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Um, and so take every moment to think about friendship because that's the series that we're on, the Bridge of Friendship. This is the final sermon in a six-week series that's been inspired by a book written by Dr. John M. Perkins titled, He Calls Me Friend. I believe John Perkins was inspired for the title by the, the praise song that we sang energetically early on in this worship service. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Dr. Perkins concludes his book with a chapter titled, The Friendship Challenge. And so that's how we will conclude as well, with a challenge. Or perhaps better stated, an invitation to cross the bridge of friendship. During a time of prayer, following the sermon, we'll offer you the opportunity to personally respond to that invitation from the Lord. As we've followed the lines of biblical interpretation that Dr. Perkins lays out in his book, we've discovered that friendship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is what precedes and prepares us for our friendships with others. And especially for befriending others with whom we have differences. Dr. Perkins believes friendship is God's gift to us for the healing of human divisions. He writes this, This world can be a lonely place. And when I see what is happening today, with all the division, strife, and anger, my heart aches. We've lost our way, and we're tearing away at the fabric of our society. People seem to be choosing sides, and not many are willing to reach across and try to fix what is broken. Friendship fills the ache in our souls, and it breaks through the barriers that separate us one from another. He invites us to look at our circle of friends and ask these questions. Do, do our friends all look like us? Do, is, is it just our, our friends, the limit of our friendships, are they only friendships among equals? Where if you took a kind of all the data and the statistics about us as a person, our backgrounds, our, our interests, our, what we think about the world... Is it just a reflection as if in a mirror that keeps us isolated from others who might be different from us? Or do we have some friends who we have differences with, who we have different backgrounds from? And that creates a source of 
empathy and understanding in our lives. He asks to think about our circle of friends and, and ask, how many of these are friends of Jesus? And if they are, he invites us to pray that they would reach across lines to befriend others. And if they aren't yet Christ followers, he invites us to pray that they would find the joy and peace of friendship with Jesus. During this series, we have explored a range of things that might divide us from one another in society. Social status, religious beliefs, political affiliation, gender, age, disability, and even suffering status. But of special concern to Dr. Perkins as an African-American man who in his long ministry in the church has gained a considerable hearing among white evangelical Christians is the issue of racial differences, which Dr. Perkins prefers to speak of as issues of ethnicity, varying cultural backgrounds that, that often involve different skin color, but don't necessarily. When it comes to transcending what divides us from others, it's clear that for Dr. Perkins and for a great many Christians, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 is foundational. So some of you might have been listening through this sermon series and you're wondering, when are we going to talk about Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan? And today's the day. So let's do a quick review of this well-loved and well-known story and then consider an aspect of the story, a particular phrase that is repeated multiple times as Jesus tells it. It's understood that, that this story started in a conversation between Jesus and a, a religious legal scholar, an expert in the law as the text calls it. And this legal expert asked Jesus what one must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus, as so often was the case, did not immediately answer the question, but asked a question. And he responded by saying, what do you think? What do you think the law says? And the expert knew his Old Testament law. And he went right to the great summary of the law that Jesus himself taught in the Gospels. He recited the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. That's what you need to do. You're on the right track. Now the conversation could have ended there. And Jesus could have just moved on to that next part of the text, which is him enjoying friendship with Mary and Martha. But the legal expert had something, well, he just had to know. And that is, he had to know if there was a limit to the law. Is there a neighbor that's just too different for me to love? So he asked Jesus this follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? 
implying that there might be people who are properly beyond the requirement to love them. The text says to justify himself. Certainly he's not trying to justify himself and his love of every single person in the world. Jesus answered him not with another legal argument, but with a story. And at the end of this story, Jesus asked a question that revealed the point. So what we're going to do, we're going to just jump right to the end of the story. Verses 36 and on. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the story, it turns out, we're going to go back to the beginning of the story, is about someone demonstrating the love of neighbor by showing mercy to someone who is in need. And the story goes like this. A man fell into the hands of robbers and was beaten up. And the text says, left half dead on the road. And then three people in succession come by and notice this man bleeding half dead along the side of the road. A priest and a Levite, two particular positions in the the Jerusalem temple worship life. But those who were concerned with living upright according to the Jewish law, they didn't stop to help. A third did stop to help, going to every length to make sure that the beaten-up man was cared for back to health. But the kicker here in the story is that this third person is not even a person who's pure by religious standards. This is a Samaritan, someone who was considered both a social and a religious outcast, an outsider, the other. And this is the one who shows God's people how to love their neighbor. This story is a a parable of what it means to cross the bridge of friendship as, as we have been understanding it, as we've been studying the scriptures. It's a story of the two who didn't cross that bridge and the one surprising person who did. As we go deeper into this text, I'm going to lay some Greek on you from the original New Testament Greek uh, that it was written in. There is a word that's repeated in this story. Jesus repeats this word multiple times, and the word is erkomai. Erkomai is a verb of proximity, of closeness. In verse 33, the Samaritan was traveling along and, quote, in the English, came where the man was. Erkomai. Now, erkomai is a, is kind of a neutral word. It's just saying you are somewhat near and close to whatever erkomai refers to. That actually could describe all three encounters. Along the same road came these three people 
Erkamai. They came into the proximity of this person. Now, the action of the priest and the Levite are described by one Greek word with a root of Erkamai that actually stands for the entire phrase of to pass by on the other side. It's so natural for people in any era when they are hesitating and wanting to maintain a distance to pass by on the other side of a road that, that in Greek, in the, the Mediterranean world, there, there was one word that described staying on the opposite side of the road from whatever you're trying to avoid. And we understand that. You know, we teach safety, right? And, and, and so, you know, you want to avoid certain things. To pass by on the other side is anti-parerkamai. So that prefix, anti, I want you to remember that. So the priest and the Levite were coming near Erkamai, but they passed by on the other side. They were anti-Erkamai. They were against drawing near. But what about the Samaritan? The Samaritan who had compassion on the beaten up man, quote, went to the man. That is also a verb rooted in erkamai. And that word is pros erkamai. Pro erkamai. So what you have here, Jesus is telling a story of drawing near, of coming into proximity, and two different ways of responding to it. Either we are anti that, or we are pro that. And Jesus lifts up the person who is pro, who went to, who, who, who reduced the distance between him and a stranger in need. This Parable is about crossing a divide. Those who tiptoed along the far extreme so that they would not have to cross that bridge of friendship. And one who came near in a neutral sense, saw the need, felt the compassion, and then the distance began to narrow. Dr. Perkins tells the story in his book, toward the, the end of his book, about a friendship that has developed in his life that is truly amazing. If it wasn't true, testified to by Dr. Perkins, you would wonder if this ever was true. He tells the story of becoming friends with a man named Tommy Terrence. Tommy was a man who uh, grew up in Alabama, was a church-going youth. And as a young man, he got involved in the activities of the Ku Klux Klan and was actually convicted uh, of bombing, racially motivated bombing, and was described as one of the most dangerous people in the state at the time of his conviction. Tommy Terrence ended up in prison and had 
an experience of friendship with Jesus that turned his life around. Exactly what Jesus was saying in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Tommy Tarrant's life hinged on that, and he started living that way. He started to love his neighbor. Now, this was around 1990, I understand. There was a Christian college back east that invited both Tommy Terrence and Dr. John Perkins to speak at, to the students at the same time. And by his own admission, Dr. Perkins wasn't sure, quote, whether he believed that Tommy had really changed. I mean, that's a lot, right? You're not just talking about someone who struggles with with relating to people of another race. You're talking about someone who not only was involved with an organization, a hush-hush organization that was designed to, to basically be up to no good in that area. I'm trying to find phrases that, that capture that. But here's someone <clears throat> who actually was guilty of violence toward black people and was sent to prison. But Perkins writes this. He, he witnessed Terrence encouraging students to have friendships with people of different races in order to get to know them as a friend and understand what life is like for them. And the two men who were divided by skin color and this elephant in the room of this past of enacted racial bigotry became personal friends. Tommy Terrence actually became, uh, he had such a legit life that he actually retired as the the executive of the C.S. Lewis Society in the Washington, D.C. area. And he and John Perkins published a book together later in the 90s titled, He's My Brother, Former former Racial Foes Offer Strategy for Reconciliation. And so, friends, it's experiences like that that John Perkins has experienced that fuel his belief in the possibility that friendship can bring us together and that God is moving us there. It's about drawing near. It's about crossing the bridge, standing at the threshold on the other side. We're posed with the question, are we anti or pro proximity? Well, when we cross the bridge of friendship, we're bringing a blessing that works in both directions. One of the Bible's most well-known statements about friendship we read today from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. This text is an ode to the power of two versus one. If you ever wanted to know, is it really better to be in relationship with others Is it better together, or is it better if I just stay isolated and alone? In verses 7 and 8, the wise teacher makes an observation on the state of being alone. Again, verse 7, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. 
But this is followed up by a meditation on the benefits of friendship. In verses 9 and 10, we read this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And think about this connection with the parable of the Good Samaritan. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. This is the love of neighbor. This is the Samaritan love. In verse 12, we find this phrase. And some of you, I know, noticed it when Kathy read it. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, there's a lot of, like, in a lot of the wisdom literature, you know, you can kind of, there's a lot of different levels of interpretation of that. And it could very well be, um, you know, that, like, okay, so there's the strength of a friendship, two-person friendship. But what happens when three people are friends and all working together? It's just that much stronger. I, I was tempted to come up with an illustration from one of my favorite movies from long ago about this kind of three-person friendship called The Three Amigos. <laughs> I'm not going to do an illustration. I'm just going to mention the movie, and you can fill in the details. <laughs> it could mean when you have more than two people who are working to support and help one another. It's just a stronger community. But this phrase also is taken as an allusion to who is involved when we cross that bridge of friendship, when we befriend another person as a follower of Christ, as a friend of God. There's someone who is there among us. And that is the Lord. God is there. When mercy is shown one person to another, the God who calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves is there by his spirit equipping us and empowering us. Even when we're just at the beginning, taking that first perhaps insecure step in someone's direction. Susan Metis in her book, The Loneliness Epidemic, concludes with these words, Friendship is often the most powerfully anti-loneliness form of belonging. Yes, even more than kinship. The evidence, especially as people grow older, is that chosen relationships, rather than inherited relationships, are the ones that have most to do with guarding against loneliness. She goes on to offer practical advice about forming these kinds of friendships, recognizing that there's kind of a, a riddle that goes along with friendships. We don't know when we take a step towards someone in conversation, in relationship, we don't know yet if that's going to be the best friendship of our lives, do we? See, we don't have that gift of knowing. Like, think about any friend you've ever had. When you first met them, you did not know. It was not a sure thing. But you opened up your life at some level, and then you learned and you grew in relationship to each other. Here's what she says. We need to value the early stages of friendships perhaps more than we do, including friends who are more buddies than soulmates. So 
Metis reminds us that if we're looking for someone to share life with and have that soulmate experience, that, that oftentimes if we, if we just stay looking for a soulmate, that those relationships might not appear. Because soulmates are found by buddies developing into a deeper friendship. He writes, not all will develop into deep friendships, but some will. And that's one of the conclusions. He has many more conclusions in that book. I encourage you to read it. Well, let's draw this to a conclusion and transition into our offering of response. Inspired by Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan and this meditation on the blessing of friendship in Ecclesiastes, we now have the opportunity to respond to God's invitation to cross the bridge of friendship. To respond to kind of what we sense God saying to us in this series, whether it's today or whether it's as we've been studying, being a friend of God as, as Abraham and Moses were described as friends of God, or, or that we find ourselves forgiven by Jesus and that being what cements us into friendship with him. Maybe we consider that we ourselves or others in our world are outsiders that, that maybe we are tempted to stay away from, but we know that Jesus was one who took a step toward those who were on the outside, even those described by the word sinner. And then thinking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us and produces fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, these virtues that that help draw people together and express the love of Christ.